All right, First Smoke family, we got episode 100 today, and we got no other than my man, Be Real, the man, Dr. Green Thumb. Hello, my name is Dr. Green Thumb. On here for you today, man. We appreciate you guys. Thank you for rocking with us for 100 episodes. Make sure you hit the like on this one. Run the comments up. Let us know what your favorite part is. Let us know what your favorite Cypress Hill song is. And make sure you subscribe if you haven't already subscribed. We appreciate the whole family. And if you haven't already, I'm gonna tell you to hop on the website, man, fsotd.com. We have three tiers for you to access. If you've already on the website, then you already could have watched this episode weeks ago. You already would have been up on it. You would have been up on all the other things we have as well. We got merch on the site, hoodies, shirts, rolling trays, lighters, everything you can need. And we got new stuff dropping every month. So check back in if you haven't checked in a while. Make sure you go to the site. Also, go to drdabber.com. Shout out to our friends over at Dr. Dabber. They hold us down with all our excesses, all the Evos, all the stuff you see us rocking on the table. And when we're out traveling around, it's Dr. Dabber holding us down. drdabber.com, use the code FIRSTSMOKE. And my man Blackleaf's gonna tell you the rest. I'm already using that code. But what I also am doing is growgeneration.com, growgeneration stores nationwide or online at growgeneration.com. If you wanna get hooked up, Use our code FIRSTSMOKE10. FIRSTSMOKE10 gets you priority hooked up. Also, if you're a grower out there and you haven't been happy with the way your quality's been coming out, the taste, the smell of your product, let's try Drip Hydro. Hit us up, send us an email, family at firstsmokeoftheday.com. Let us know, I need to run Drip Hydro. Also, get on that site. We have all our discount codes for all the people we work with. It gets you hooked up, fsotd.com. Episode 100, we got my man, Be Real. Shout out to the whole family, man. We appreciate you guys watching. And now, let's get insane in the motherfucking membrane. Hello, my name is Dr. Green Thumb. Who are you trying to get crazy with this, see? Don't you know I'm local? How do recording artists stand the test of time? Through plenty of hardship and against all odds, these artists never stop believing in their destiny. With fierce independence, they break boundaries. With a sound all their own, they define their time. Yo, what's up, everybody? We're back, man. It's first smoke of the day. Big, huge episode today. 100th episode. It's your boy Pack in the building. I'm here with my co-host, Blackleaf, as always. Feeling special, and man. we got the godfather of it all in here for the 100th episode. My man, Be Real. What's good, bro? Thank you, guys, and congratulations on the 100th episode. Thank you for real. Thanks for man. having me. It's a blessing to be able to have you on for it. We feel accomplished now. <laughs> Thank you. For real. We really do, though. Yeah. For real. It's it's when we were thinking about like who, what kind of impact could we have for a hundred, it's like all we could think about was like, yo, we gotta get be real on there. I feel honored, man. Thank you. Since uh dude, you just go so far back and you've just been so active. Cause a lot of people got a lot going on. They 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 do a lot, but they they go enjoy life or but you're just you just grind. Yeah, you know, I, I I tend to keep the foot on the pedal. There was there was a a few years where I sort of let go, and um, I was playing a lot of paintball, right? Um, 
competing in paintball tournaments. We read about that. Not, not necessarily in the woods, but like competitive paintball where it's like, airball you know, fields, field, right? field, airball fields. Like stoned that. assassins. Yeah, stoned assassins. Yeah. And for that, that three year um, break I took away from like, let's just say recording and, and, uh, and uh, you know, touring and stuff like that. I mean, we did sporadic shows. I kept busy in, in certain ways, but not as busy as, I, I normally would. And I felt like at that time I needed that break because all I ever did was like grind, grind, grind. I didn't take any time off. And so like I took that little bit of time there to have fun and do something I always wanted to do. Cause I, I went as a kid, I looked at this, the paintball flyers and be like, Oh, I wish I could do that. And uh, on Muggs's, I think 32nd or 33rd birthday, uh, the, the girl he was dating at the time, um, bought him tickets to the paintball spot in Corona. So we all went and played, got addicted and played for three years straight in these, in these different league, well, in the MPPL league. And uh, so that was the time I took off after I got back. Right. And what got, what snapped me back in is we were at our last tournament that I, that I'd played in still to this day. That's probably the last tournament I played in uh, was in San Diego. I just come off a tour in Europe got to the tournament day of that we got, that's how I was doing it. Like I'd come off the plane onto the field and, you know, vice versa, I'd off the field, off the field, onto the plane, off to do the, the show and stuff like that. I was like rocking it like that. And in San Diego, we had had a horrible tournament. We were set up to win that one. And we just totally like everybody was on a different page egos attitude pride all that stuff you know paintball player shit <laughs> <laughs> i feel um, like it was big during these times it too. was oh, it, it was, was it was at the peak seven yeah. it was seven man tournament and a five man and then the three man but the seven man was like the big one um and so <laughs> we're playing that last of the series um because there was there was uh five or six that they'd played throughout the country you know and one of them would be in San Diego and um, we have our shitty tournament. Our guys are arguing. We got cheated out of a call and one of our guys cheated on top of that. So like it just, it ended bad. Right. And so we were like, I had just broken up an argument between two of the guys and this fan comes up. Hey, yo B, can I get a picture before you guys roll out? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. I take the picture. And he goes, Hey man, I love the fact that you're here playing paintball with all the guys and you're like just being one, you know, regular person out here with us and, you know, being a part of the culture. I love that man about you. You know what I mean? That's awesome. I'm like, thanks, man. He goes, but can I ask you something? I said, yeah, sure. And he goes, when are you going to make another record? <laughs> I was like, oh shit. It, cause it had been three years. Mm -hmm. You know, we were just doing little shows here and there sporadically, not like full-blown tours like we were used to doing. I wasn't in the studio at all. I was on the paintball field a lot of the time or practicing with the team for a tournament or training before the practice. It was just all like in on this paintball shit <laughs> for three years. And it, that guy woke me the fuck up. So like right, right after that, I got into making these three mixtapes called the Gunslinger series. Um, 
and uh then i went on to to record our our uh cypress hill album rise up and from that time to now i haven't <laughs> really stopped no vacations none of that shit i mean you know i allow I, I allow myself like the weekend breaks and whatnot and with touring with cypress hill and when i was with prophets of rage and even sometimes on my solo shit you know like i have fun there whereas like i don't feel like i need a vacation because yes i'm working but i we allow certain things to come into that scenario so we, we have fun doing it and it's not just work so since that time i've been steady on the grind but having fun doing it with the paintball would did you play backfield or were yeah you, i played backfield yeah, yeah the quicker guys run and jump for the snake and right all that type of stuff right i, I, I was played, into a heavy that's dope you you I, were doing all I that i played the back right corner sometimes left and they you know i, I shot left more than right because i'm ambidextrous and I could shoot probably a little bit faster on the left hand on, you know. Wow. What, the, what type of gear were you rocking? We were running shockers for a long time. Yeah. And then I think we went, well, we started with angels, went to shockers, then, then uh, the Evo, Evo, Evos or whatever. Something. They were called something like that. They were like the new lighter, faster gun at that point. Yeah. And so that was probably one of the last joints I played with. I still got my shocker, or my, my stone disaster shocker. classic. Still got all my playing gear. Um, I just ain't touched it because I know once I get out there, I'm not going to come off again because it's too addicting for me. I like the adrenaline rush that comes with it. Painful as it is, when you get hit, you know, certain places hurt like a motherfucker. You know, other yeah. places, you know, certain places you could take, but there are certain zones yeah. on a man's body that ain't like it. <laughs> It don't feel like good. The getting, inner thigh and stuff like inner, that. Like. Yeah, inner thigh or up in mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or, you know, in your crown. Cause some yeah. uh, some people will do that to you. You know what I mean? When they come Slide around for a bunker up. move, hit you with that dome shot. Especially you. They were probably gunning for oh, they your were. ass, huh? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I was I was targeted every time and, and I, I made it easy for them. I wore a certain headdress that nobody else in, in the league was rocking yet, which was what I took you know, like inspired my prophets of rage look, right? Um, and so <laughs> they'd be looking for, for, I didn't put Be Real on my jersey neither. I put my last name on there proper with a 32 on it for Magic Johnson. Um, yeah, that's right. And uh, they were looking for me every time and they would give me extra work on the way to the box. Like if I had gotten shot and I'm walking off, and they're not, you know, they're not supposed yeah. to do this, but they would give me extra on the way out. <laughs> and, and and they did that to me. Those my, last few are like. And those are brutal. Those bro. are the ones that hurt. Because you're walking out because you yeah, got not taken out yeah. and you're like, oh, damn. And then, you know, it's like what sure. they say, you know, um, <laughs> insult to injury. You know what I mean? And so I started giving it back to them. Like when we started <laughs> yeah, winning games. Like, yo, yo. When we started winning games, like when we figured out like how to win because it takes that you know you yeah. go through your l's you figure out how to win so you lose less yeah. we started giving it right back to all those bastards that were targeting me man i would give it to them and the whole we the whole team was under instruction a number whatever you see him walking now boom extra 
Damn. <laughs> Tag is Damn. Yeah, the way they were targeting me, we targeted him right assassin. back. Whoever their best player was, we were getting him. And if we got him, he was getting extra. Yeah, he's getting extra few tags on but the way you know, out. I, I developed a good strategy. Was I made friends with all of them because they were all great fucking dudes. You know, like the, the chicks that played too. You know, there was, there's a real camaraderie there. Competitive as it is, people got love for each other there. So I started coming down there with, I would make this sangria, right? And I'd have a big ass jug of it in our trailer and we'd be drinking it slight little bit before the show, before the tournament and other players would be like, Hey man, let me get some of that shit. I heard about that shit you made here. And man, you know, <laughs> you get them all twisted. Yeah, up. They got them twisted yeah. boy. And then they're even heavy jogging. You're like, yeah. And then they're trying to smoke the weed we're smoking at, the, at that time. No one in the league had the weed we had not at all. Everybody knew this. So like, if you smoked with us and then go tried to play, it didn't matter if you were playing us, whoever you were playing against, it could have been us, anybody else. So you were going to play a little sloppy because you weren't used to that. And sometimes it worked to our advantage, man. We, we get these guys stoned and if we had to play them, they'd be like out of it. And we we'll rolled them. Catch them slumped. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Well, then they'd be like, up? you did that on purpose. Now yeah, we, yeah, yeah. I mean, you came to our yeah. trailer. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah you came to hit the blunt or the door. What were you guys smoking at this time? It was a lot of OG. OG. You know, we were snobs then. We didn't yeah. really smoke. there, And there wasn't a lot of exotics out there yet at that point. Yeah. You know, there was only a few different ones. But so we always were locked in with OG. Um. My man uh, Rojo from Red Light and Reserve played on the team with me. With that, we go way back. Rojo, no, it's crazy. He looks like he'd be a paintballer. Yeah, he was. Hey, yeah. this motherfucker had wheels too. Like, you know, a lot of those young kids are fast, right? But he was slightly faster. We'd have we'd we'd like people who didn't believe this stoner could outrun any of the guys that had been playing for a long time, right? So, certain tournaments. They'd hold races and bets. Can these young dudes beat the old guy? And he'd dust them. He'd like run with them for half the half the the length of what they were running, and then burst on them in 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 the middle of the you know mm -hmm. allotted uh, space or whatever. Right? He'd like run with them for a minute, and then like say something stupid to him, and then boom, burst on him. And we didn't realize that he had the wheels that he had. You know, because we're just playing. We're not recognizing this. Before we really started getting into drilling, you know, like all yeah. teams drill. When we would have to race each other, bro, he was dusting all of us. But we were like, well, yeah, of course he could dust us. We're not the worst. We're not the <laughs> fastest guys out here, right? Yeah. But one day someone challenged him and he dusted him. And every other tournament they were trying to challenge him because yeah. he's an older guy than most of those guys mm -hmm. bursting right past him. He could play payball too. He was pretty good. Yo, family, if you want to know where to get all the dope exclusive merch you see us rocking on the show, go to shop.fsotv.com. It's free shipping on all domestic orders. We're trying to hook up the whole family. We want you guys to rock the merch and show us you're a part of the family. All the ashtrays are on there. The lighters are on there. The trays are on there. The stonewash hoodie is on there. The family ties tea is sold out. You should have moved quicker. Um, <laughs> and also, yo, Tag us in photos. Let us know you're rocking the merch, you're rolling up on the tray, you're watching firstsmokeoftheday.com. Let us know how you first smoke of the day. Hit us up on Instagram, first smoke of the day. Let us know. I bet he'd still get out there.
He could. Crazy. Yeah. He well, he stays in shape. Yeah. Most of us still do. I could get out there right now and I'd probably be better than I was when I got out there because I'm in a different kind of shape than I was then, that's for sure. What what types of things do you do right now? A lot of cardio, a lot of core shit. Um, I still do weights, but not as heavy because I don't need to be big. That's it's it's hard to carry that consistently on a night to night basis on stage for an hour and a half when you got three, four shows in a row, one off and then back to another three, four shows or something like that. You know, that's tough. Yeah. So I try not to get too big, just try to stay lean and and uh <laughs> you know have have the endurance for it instead of like bulking out you know what i mean so it's more for endurance and core strength and whatnot that i do it for now and and to keep healthy man keep fit people got to do that but i was working out then we were all working out there we had everybody on a fucking workout regiment everybody had to go train and we did workout days together and then the drilling days and then the scrimmage days like we were fucking all in we were taking it very serious because we wanted to go from 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 rookie to to pro but we were gonna march up that ladder proper you know that's that's what our mentality was but uh you know it took discipline not everybody was disciplined you can't discipline everybody it's it's hard but most of the guys yeah they they stood active and that that was one of the things for me. I was always active training in something. So, you know, if it wasn't martial arts, it was, you know, kickboxing or something like that or or uh or boxing or whatever and you know, the weight training and all that shit. But yeah, right now it's I cleaned up my diet, do the cardio and then all the other stuff that I was doing before. I just I mix it up. You know, it's, I think it's better if you mix it up than you do the traditional stuff. Do what we do, right? Mm -hmm. Being, you know, having to carry that for an hour and a half. Yeah, it, it's better not to be that big. I feel like paintball is like the closest thing to like real life Call of Duty that you can yeah, get. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like where it's, you're it's you. Like yeah. you're going out there. Obviously, you're not going to really, you know what I mean? But you get to play again, right? So yeah. it's, it's the whole kind of. Yeah, I don't was, know why it died out, but man, it was huge. Like it was popping. It was, it was great. There was a lot of excitement, but they tried to change it too much. And when they tried to bring it to TV, they didn't know how to present it properly. And people didn't get the gist of the game. Oh, well, they just got to shoot each other out. But how is it? You know, it's more than that. They got, these guys got to strategize how to go get that flag on this end. And these guys got to either defend that or figure out moves around that to get to this flag over here. And they don't understand that this guy in the center, or maybe the guy in the corner are directing traffic on the guys to get to the moves to be able to kill the other side off, right? They didn't get how to explain that. Instead of putting cameras on these guys, like helmets or guns or whatever, and, and letting them communicate with each other. Cause that was the other thing. When you got, when you got a field of guys just screaming shit across the field, did you guys, and, and you have people on TV watching this, they don't understand what's being said back and forth. It's gibberish. It's guys yelling, but they, you know, if they could understand what they're yelling to each other, that they're telling them, Hey, make a move over here, go past this and shoot right dude is over here like you know all that communication 
you know, but they don't allow that in paintball. They don't allow you to have like a radio signal to each other to communicate like that. Right. It's all like, you got to shout it to the motherfucker across the field. (laughs) Yeah. Yo, stop shooting here. Shoot over here. You're fucking losing your voice. Trying to scream on this motherfucker, getting his attention. Cause He's got so much adrenaline. He's fucking laying paint. He'll hear nothing you're saying. Do, 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 do. Yeah. It's like the balloon is getting tacked. Oh, man. Uh, you took it's me. My first time I ever yeah. went. Hell you yeah. took you me. You know about it. I remember getting shot in the neck. I'll never forget <laughs> it. I was like, so, oh, okay. Yeah. So unless your homie's loud or close enough for you to hear him, to take that direction, and then people got to hear you screaming, like it, they're hearing like, at least five or six guys on both sides screaming at their top of the lungs at each other to shoot this way or that way or move this way. It's complicated. And unless you show that right, people will get it disinterested because, you know, you're, especially when you got the far out shot and you're not showing the angles of what the shots are, you're just showing this general layout of these guys shooting guns at each other. You're not actually showing the moves that happen because yeah. that's important. It's like chess with guns, but you got to show the moves. And, you know, ESPN tried to do it, but it, they didn't do it right. I think if, if done right, yeah, it could be something. Because when you look at what ESPN 4 and 5 and 6, is, <laughs> as many ESPNs there are, or, or Fox Sports 1, 2, 3 through 10 or whatever, mm-hmm. they have all these different sports now that are kind of ridiculous. Like cornhole. Yeah. So why not paintball? It's a much more exciting game. It's if, if you, yeah. if you present it right and get the right teams or, you know, it could be something. Cause I mean, it was exciting to watch if you're there. Yeah. It's exciting to watch. Yeah. Cause you get it. Watching it on TV is a little bit hard cause they don't got the right angles to show you what the fuck is going on and how it works. So that's I think that's why I didn't catch on. I can uh, see that. It was like, a little- and it's expensive. It is. I feel like it might have been a little ahead of its time. Very much so, yeah. And like you said, it's expensive and it's intimidating. So a lot of people have never played. It's hard to be a fan of something you've never at least screwed around and played. Yeah, it's expensive like golf. Yeah. Like it's really expensive. Might be more. Yeah. There's paint. Because there's the paint. Yeah. If you're in a tournament, you have to have paint. And then if you make it through into, you know, the Sunday, because you play, uh, what is it? Friday and Saturday to make it into the Sunday. You got to have enough points to get into the, what is it? The quarterfinal, then the semifinal and the rest, right? Um, (laughs) If you run out of paint, you got to fucking scramble for paint from other people that might've got eliminated that maybe got extra paint. Either they're going to sell it to you or donate it to you. But if they don't, you're fucked. Your tournament's done. You can't, play if you got no paint and that is the one thing that like you could the gun you could buy that year and use that the year it came out and use it for a couple years before you got fucking upgrade your gun to something else right so it's a one-time buy for 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 a minute right same goes with your pack your pads your you know goggles goggles the whole the whole get up, but the paint is the consistent thing that you're going to be paying for. You've paid your, you've paid your entry fee, all that stuff. Then you got to pay for your hotel and have, have enough money to feed yourself through this three day event. 
and hope that you get to that Sunday. And if you're sponsored, you're good with paint. But if you're not, you're <laughs> buying and it's expensive. Every time. Every time, man. It's like going shooting with guns and shit. It's like ammo is expensive as hell. Yeah. Every time. I it, it's you know like but that's how how dope it was and that's how how uh big it was is that you had like at least 200 teams signing up for every competition for every event Ooh. and it would draw crowds it like they did they did the one here strategically like brilliant right um whenever the surf competition the op surf competition mm -hmm. was happening in huntington beach boom they'd like put it in that time because there's already a massive amount of people there for the surf competition mm -hmm. boom here goes the paintball competition to to the you know to the south of it on the north end of the beach it's the it's the the surf competition on the you know south end the paintballers are down there and a lot of people would be intrigued by it like what the fuck is going on down there Mm -hmm. And they trickle on over into there. So boom, they would have a huge audience of paintball enthusiasts and people that were like, oh, what is this? Yeah. And uh, that was brilliant. That is smart. The other, the other events weren't as packed as that one, but there was enough people there like celebrating paintball and getting down with it. In every city we went, uh, at every state we went to that they held an event. Yeah, there was like 200 teams. So like it showed you that the, 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 the sport was thriving because people wanted to play. And there were new teams coming up all over the place in the, the rookie, novice, and amateur levels. You got to earn your way up to pro. You cannot just create a team and go pro. They don't allow that. They didn't allow that. Not in the MPPL. I think you had to like rank up. It's almost like soccer or like football. As they say now, yeah, you're I, you're always <clears throat> taking picks. You're a big fan of soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, LAFC, man, that's the team. Yeah. yeah, repping them right now. I see all day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They got a game tonight. Okay, against, against uh, the others. <laughs> we'll just call them that. He's a fierce competitor. I can tell just by <laughs> yeah. the way you talk about competition. Yeah, the paintball does it? Is it similar to being in a group? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, with Cypress Hill, whenever we took stage, like if it's our show, our whole thing is to, you know, give a hundred percent energy and kill it for the crowd and that. Right. But if we're doing like a festival or, a, you know, like a mixed genre show where, you know, like a radio show or something like that, where it's these mixed artists and when we take our slot we're looking to chop everybody's goddamn head off you know what i mean like whoever's coming after us better bring it that's that's how we're looking at it every time we're going to keep you honest damn and if we're coming last then we're going to close the show proper you know what i mean and if someone you know comes at it like hey you got to follow this we're more than ready you know, but that's that competitive nature in us. All, all of us played sports to some degree. Muggs and Send Dog were baseball players. Send Dog played some semi-pro football. You know, I didn't play organized ball like they did, but I played, I love to play basketball and, and football and obviously paintball. So it's a very competitive, we have, and, and Bobo was a track runner apparently 
um, <laughs> and it's high school days. So everybody co- comes from a, a, a competitive of a competitive nature, right? So it's the way we take the stage. Like when we go up there, we want to be the best thing you saw that night. So we're going to go up there and give it to you like that. And, you know, if we do our job, we want people over or we'll leave people saying, yo, man, they killed it. As opposed to, eh, they were all right. <laughs> yeah. But you're going to get that. There are going to be some haters that will say that, you know, but the people that actually saw it will come and say, you know what? I don't know what the fuck you saw. This was that, you know, and uh, we live for that. So, you know, we're definitely competitive on all levels. Yeah. hundred percent. What was it like working on with fast? I saw you were on fast and furious, the movie, the first one, they was listed it? you in the credits. Did they? Yeah. It was, I can't remember what song it was. It I was, was like, holy, my, what a famous ass movie at this point, man. Yeah. Like, that's, I know we did one. Um, you did some acting stuff though. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I, we did the one with Idris Salba in it, um, where it was Sean Hobbs. I know we did something for that too. Okay. I think <laughs> Fuck, we've done so much shit. I know. But, yeah. I, I've done a couple acting roles here and there. It wasn't necessarily my, 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 my passion to do that. Um, I take them as they come. Like for me, I don't like to go like try to read for something and cause I'm not, I don't, you know, it's, it's not something that I, I look to do. Mm-hmm. Like if someone sees me in something and they say, Hey B, we want you for this. Cool. I'll go do that. But it was never like a, a desire for me to go get in films and stuff like that. I'd rather be behind the camera if I'm going to do that. But yeah, I mean, like, I'm always open. If someone were to come and say, hey, we want you for this role, I, we see you playing this. Mm-hmm. I'll take a stab at it, you know, but I was never one to like really, you know, music was my passion. And so I, I stuck with that. But, you know, a lot of artists do that. They'll, they'll, they'll cross over from music to uh, film or TV and stuff like that. And, you know, again, I've tried it here and there, but it was, again, it wasn't like one of those passions where I pursued it and told our agents, hey, I need to get in films. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, so if you guys didn't know already, everybody's switching to drift. Turps are a really big deal in today's market, but most importantly, so is the flavor. So everybody's switching to drip and feeding their flavor. And if you want to switch to drip, reach out to us. Family at firstsmokeoftheday.com. Let us know. I want to switch to drip hydro. We're dripped out. We're right here, our favorite place to go. You know, where the pros go to grow at Grow Generation. Over 60 stores nationwide, either in-store or online. Use our code. First Smoke 10. Family, get online. If you're shopping for grow goods, First Smoke 10 or in store anywhere in the US. Tell them the First Smoke family sent you. We'll see you there. Yo, we got a gift from Dr. Dabba. Excess. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. Gift. Take us all the way back, man, to, to the early days, because you guys have been rocking for so damn long. It's just impressive. How many years has it been? Uh, since 91. Uh, we put out our first record in and, 91. And, yeah. and in 93, you guys go number one on the billboard. Yeah. With which insane. is like 
Black Sunday, yeah. Before, for people to understand, it's like before everything, mm -hmm. you know? It's almost like pre-magazine. Like, it's like that was the the thing you looked at was like magazine, like no internet. Yeah. No, you know, yeah. no, none of that. Radio, magazines. Yeah, there then, was a handful of publications where you got the info from. Yeah. And that's it. And yeah. so like going out and touching and reaching the world, it must have felt so, felt so much different than yeah, it does now. It is different than it is now. I mean, you could reach so many more people quickly, you know, through, through, uh, through your social media, whatever, you know what I mean? Whatever platform you use. Um, but it's not the same, you know, like actually touching ground and seeing these people and, and actually selling the units as opposed to what it is today with streams and stuff like that, because, um, you had to actually go, <laughs> you had to go be in front of a lot of these folks. You know what I mean? We used to have to go to, to the record stores and do the meet, what they call meet and greets now. Um, but it was like a promo stop. You went and met your fans, shook their hands, took pictures, um, signed autographs, all the stuff. And if you won them over, they bought your album. If you, if they didn't, you know, you planted a seed and maybe they will later. Right. And then you go do the promo shows, which you don't get paid for. It's just like you're trying to win folks over so that you can get on a, you know, on a, someone's tour or you know you build your following to make your own tour and it's all those little things man that you go through at the beginning that we did like you know to like invested time in like being with the people and uh interacting and constantly engaging that's that's always been a thing with cyprus so when this the internet got put up and all these you know dot com started happening you know, we, we got into that early because we knew it was going to be a new way to interact with the fans and whatnot. Hence, like doing a, a live stream when I started doing our live stream, which was about 10, 12 years ago, um, I started my platform via Stickam. And Stickam was uh, a competitor of Ustream. It was actually bigger than Ustream, bigger follower base, bigger subscription base. Um, it was off the chain. So we started there and, uh, you know, I got into the streaming from that, that time to now, you know, from stick camp. And, uh, I think Kenji was saying like, you guys like use webcams and like, yeah, we had tape them and shit. <laughs> yeah. We had like, <laughs> I was like, cause we're like asking a bunch of questions. Yeah, like yeah. we're always looking for information. Yeah, we like, started, I had, I had a small studio in, in Chatsworth. It was a recording studio proper. It wasn't like for film or any of that stuff or any of that it was just we did it in the <laughs> lobby i i rigged like seven uh logitech cams and like i had a, a bunch of cams man for no reason <laughs> just to get different <laughs> angles because what because we would like you know we would we would do a sit down conversation thing and then we would throw you know mixes in between them so you know i tried to make the dj thing <laughs> like look like it was going faster by have having different angles over the top the side the front the hands all all the shit, right and you know it worked we i mean we <laughs> we had a lot of people watching that show um but for for what i do now it all began there but bef even before that it was it was radio 
you know, um, we were doing a, a, a show called uh, Soul Assassin's Show on 92.3 The Beat. And, uh, you know, so when we had that platform, we were able to plug our music, plug our events like the smoke out that mm -hmm. we created and things like that. And I realized when we let that go because of politics, I, I had to let that job go, um, that we needed a platform. So, you know, the streaming happened and we were able to bridge that with the music and with the cannabis and everything now, you know, I know that was kind of a broad answer, but nah, oh. you're just way like, like when I realize how long it's been since you've even been doing that with the streaming and the live shows and everything, you're just like, you just adapt quick and you're like ahead of your time though, with your vision and stuff. And, and then you're consistent. It's just impressive to see. And like all those angles who knew, like, that's what you need now. You need transitions yeah. to keep people's attention. Yeah. You were doing that so early on. People probably didn't even realize like it just has them locked in the show the whole time. Yeah. I mean, some, some folks still have it simplified. You know, they just show the DJ boom. Um, and some got the angles down and, and you see more movement, more flow. And for me, that was always it. I didn't want anyone to be bored <laughs> watching. Yeah what we do you're either laughing or this is taking you somewhere right and so for the mixes that definitely um you know if you don't have an image popped up behind the dj or in front of the dj while he's mixing it gets sort of boring if he's not doing like exhibition style djing like for instance a mix master mike or a dj lord or a cubert or dj mugs when they're doing like all the crazy dj the turntablist type of tricks that you don't need a bunch of angles you could leave that shit on one angle and people are like wow look what yeah. he's doing yeah but if he's just mixing and, and cutting yeah you need you need different things to keep it moving and that was always on my mind like keeping it moving and that's always on my mind you know whether it's we're doing music or we're streaming or we're in this cannabis shit or whatever it is constant movement man i don't like to be stagnant so that's it goes back to why i don't really take breaks yeah you know i just i like to keep a forward flow i'm sure you have people telling you all the time enjoy yourself man you <laughs> that's know? the thing i do yeah and you're like it's, man i found it like yeah you know, i'm doing it i enjoy my work it's 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 some of the people that stress me the fuck out in the middle <laughs> yeah. yeah i bet <laughs> did the djing get you into break dancing is that what that no, the, the 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 break dancing in the in the popping was the first thing to get me and then the rapping and as i'm becoming a rapper and we start doing demos i'm like intrigued by how dope mugs is because, I mean, you know, we knew Julio G. Julio G introduced us to Muggs, and Julio G was a badass DJ from, like, our side of town and whatnot. He was our friend and stuff like that. And we got to see him develop. But, like, as he developed, he started rocking with KDAY the, um, on the Mixmaster show, which was an AM station that played hip-hop in the, in the mid and late 80s uh, before they went off the, year, the air in uh, 90 or 91. And he was a DJ there. So we didn't really get to see him get down. We heard him on the radio, whereas Muggs, we'd see, be, you know, because he wanted to be not just a DJ. He wanted to be a competitive DJ going to the DMCs and, and battle out for a belt. You know what I mean? And so I got to see that. And that turned me into an enthusiast, you know? So I started trying to learn the shit I seen him do way back, way back mm -hmm. before the Serato when 
people were, you know, doing it with vinyl and, you know, he showed me the marking and what the marking meant to cut on the one on the kick or the snare and how to do the chases and uh, the doubles and stuff like that. He taught me like my foundation stuff when he, when he saw that I was enthusiastic about it. And then the, but the bulk of what I learned of DJing was from guys like rest in peace, my boy, Jay Turner, um, Julio G who, who helped me build my foundation proper when he realized, Oh, you, Oh, you do this. Okay. Let me show you. Cause he saw that I was trying to do it and I was a little sloppy cause I had done it in a while. So he gave me some techniques to brush up on. And then, um, you know, when we brought on mix master, Mike seeing how, you know, like how he worked his plates it is in the mixer and all that shit. I learned a lot from him and being with DJ Lord right now, you know, as, as, uh, him coming on to tackle the, the, the duties of DJ for Cypress Hill, one of the baddest DJs in the world, you know, him and I have cut sessions and we, we, we have small little he he indulges me really. He's not practicing. He's he's just fucking around with me. But he's showing me things within that, right? So like he'll show me something. I'll go back to the studio and I'll practice it and come back and hit him with it. I can't show you nothing, you know. <laughs> you know because his, his whole thing. Competition. You don't yeah. think I'm gonna get it, or maybe you know that's just his way of pumping me up. You know what I mean? But like, yeah, I learned a lot from watching all these DJs and Fred Rec too D, you know is a producer and dj rolls with m and and snoop and and um and dr dre he was also one that helped me like clean up my style and shit you know i didn't really have a style i was just trying to dj clean because i was getting you know um offers to hey come dj this club or that club and they wanted to make sure i was mixing clean so that nobody could talk shit Cause that's the main thing. If you're going to DJ a club, you got to make it clean. It can't be no sloppy shit. And fortunately to this day, I've not <laughs> fucking done no sloppy work at a club, you know, <laughs> when it, when it happens. Do you still, do you still DJ here and there? Oh yeah. On B-Real TV a lot. Yeah. On B-Real TV. Yeah. What about like, like at a about. club and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, they'll, they'll call me now and then for, uh, for, for some DJ gigs and stuff like that. That's dope. Yeah. Um, it's a different vibe when you go do it like vibe. that, right? Not a lot of people know. I've, it's not like I've gone out of my out of my way to market myself as a DJ. I do yeah. it on Twitch, but you know that's like our fan base knows this. You know what I mean? If other promoters or agents maybe knew that, they'd probably hit me up. Because I mean, I play everything. I don't just play hip hop. Like I, I do all the shit. Cause I learned what makes people move is what you play. Not like just your favorite shit. Cause if I play just all my favorite shit, the girls stand on the wall and they, they're like, when can, when is he going to play a song that I could dance to? And I learned not to DJ like that. I learned keep girls on the floor, forget what the homies are talking about. They could listen to that shit smart, in their car on the way home. Man. <laughs> I keep the party cracking, man. Yeah, exactly. And you know, what's crazy is in, in, in doing that, you know, I learned to like the songs that I didn't like before. I saw it in it. Like when it, you see the girls like just having a good time to this shit and you're like, you got the party cracking. You learn to have an appreciation for a song that you might've said, man, I would never play this to myself. But you know, hey, you're a DJ. 
Got to keep the floor cracking. And again, you eventually you learn to appreciate some of those songs. Coming from like someone who grew up off of like hardcore hip hop and and like metal. Do you know metal was what it, what I was really into before I got into hip hop. And it was all like that, you know, that darker like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and ACDC and Rush and that sort of shit. You know what I mean? So like that's the mentality I, mentality I had, but that's not going to rock a party. So yeah, it's too heavy. Yes. If you play too, too heavy fun. shit in a club or anything like that, even still now. We'll like it, but we'd be the only three in the club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like saying? all the dudes, but it's just like the wrong energy yeah, you don't no. want in the, in the club at all. No, it's it better when it the up. girls are dancing. For sure. Yeah. Balances it out. Yeah. Speaking of like gigs and stuff, um, you think Saturday Night Live will ever call you guys back? <laughs> Get you guys back on the show? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we... You know, they could because they have a bunch of cannabis type sketches that have ran after we were there and in New York, it's legal now. And so, you know, yeah, sure. I don't think they will. Yo, First Smoke family, if you want to know where to get all the most exclusive stuff done for your brand at, it's moodtrays.com. Use the code FSOTD and they're going to take care of you. Fast turnarounds, low minimums, and they know what they're doing. High quality products where we get all our stuff done for the podcast at. Grinders, trays, rolling cradles, all types of the new things that are dropping. Go check them out. Tell them the family sent you. They're going to take care of you. Appreciate it. What was it, what was it like that, that day when you went that night? Oh, we were just, we were like like any they didn't other make day. it a big we deal. It was like no just, big deal. Well, no, I mean, creatively they loved it, but they knew that they were going to have some backlash from people that were, you know, from from Dare and Mad, calling them about, hey, these guys are smoking cannabis on live TV, and then the FCC, all that stuff. So yeah, they had to ban us because, you know, they cover their ass, cover their ass. And so we're like in this, in this, um, in this, we're, we're on a pretty substantial ban list. When you think about it, you got, what's her name? Sinead O'Connor. You guys paved the way. Um, You got Rage Against the Machine, Cypress Hill and three or four, maybe five other groups. You know, we're in a small select group, man, you know? Not many people are banned, huh? Not many people are banned. Well, you know, because they, they go in there and they just, they're, they're safe about it. Yeah. We, we decided not to be safe. In the early 90s, too. Not would you guys 2000s. come together that night, though, and be like, yo, we're going to light up? Or did you just kind of say fuck it and do it? No, we, we, we had a plan to do that. It's just Muggs did it like in the beginning when we had thought, we, you know, like our discussion was we we're going to do it at the end. But <laughs> the I think the record company and, well, the people from the label that were there and some of the folks from Saturday Night Live kept on coming in to warn us not to smoke. For some reason, most especially him. And uh, they provoked him because at that point, at first he was going to be like, okay, we won't smoke. But even though we're going to smoke at the very end, he was just telling him, you know, like, no, okay, cool. But they weren't buying it. So they kept laying into him and he was like, fuck it. I'm going to smoke off the top. Then he didn't <laughs> tell him that he didn't tell him that he just did it. That's why we were all like mm-hmm. kind of looking around like, oh shit, he did it off top. Like is that OG? And yeah, and <laughs> yeah. then you know, we up to the mic. Just 
And then we were supposed to like wait to the end and we were going to smash our whole set like the who, but mugs, <laughs> he, he jumped the gun and he went and pushed uh, Bobo's congas over before the song was over. And Bobo had started with the full set. And at the end he had just won. <laughs> and you know, it just, it, it, it didn't go the way we had planned it. Shit got out of hand. Yeah. Quick. But it, it made its, it made its mark and it made its impact because he blazed that no matter what, no matter where it was supposed to be, he blazed it. Right. Which was great for the cannabis culture. Like mm -hmm. this dude just blazed on Saturday night live in New York. And that was yeah. live. Man. Yeah. yeah. That was full go mode. And then what year was this? This was 93. Yep. And okay. then, you know, we get banned, which added to our legend. Hey, they banned Cypress Hill from Saturday night live. Hit media. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? That is the weed community. They're like, hell yeah. 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 You know, we got we we sacrificed our play for the culture. I was wearing a graphics shirt for for from the graphics ball guys. Yo. Yeah. And I oh, had a G backpack on yeah. man. And I had a backpack on my back, you know, and then the term backpack rap eventually starts happening. And really, that that wasn't a thing to us. But I just happened to be wearing a fucking backpack at, on one of the on one of the performances. I think Damn, that's one crazy. with and one without. Can't remember exactly, but yeah, it was it was a, it was a trippy time, man. We had a lot of juice then, and we fucking burned it on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> four twenty, I'm calling it. What four twenty? They got to come back man. out and do the four twenty show or what something. What a G right? though! Like, come on. Just said, fuck yeah. it. I'm blazing the whole Muggs thing. Mugs is like that. You cannot tell him that he can't do something because then he's just going to fucking do it. I mean, we're all like that. Had yeah. they told me that, I probably would have waited till the end like the plan. <laughs> 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 but I would have done it. Whereas Mugs was like, fuck that. <laughs> they're getting this one. Off. The, get the whole this. show, they're going to smell you this You're getting one. this off the top. Oh, was he and, on some OG? And this, uh, I don't, shit, I don't remember what it was. Probably might have been Hayes because huh? it was yeah. in New York. And uh, he said, they said I couldn't blaze this backstage, but I ain't going out like that. Da, 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 da. <laughs> he fucking lit it up. And uh, we went with it. Because, I mean, that's what you do. We didn't want to stop and be like, act like we were surprised he did it. It was just, yeah, we were surprised he did it at the front. Because, like, we didn't know if, if we had done it at the front. Were they going to cut the broadcast? Were they going to cut us off? Yeah. And they true. did it. They kept it rolling and they put it in syndication and it fucking still rolls out to this day. Banned us, but put it in syndication and you could still see him say the same spiel. They didn't like fucking cut it. They didn't edit it out. None of that stuff. It's still there. Yo, they said I couldn't like my joint. We got to look all it that up now. Yeah. yeah. It's on YouTube. They have yeah, the full thing. YouTube. Yeah. 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 It's, it got tons like, of views. But when you like when Saturday Night Live, you see it on one of these shows that's in syndication, like let's just say Comedy Central had it in syndication for a while. And I think maybe VH1 or something like that. Um, when they would run the old episodes, that one would come up constantly. And they never edited it out. They never shortened it. They didn't cut the beginning. They left as is. I wonder how it boosted the views and shit. Oh, I would imagine it. You know? it yeah, I would imagine why they it kept boosted it around. the views. Like, yeah, That's why they kept one. it around. It's, it's a good one. Shit, yeah, it was Shannon Doherty who was the bad girl at the time. So we were like, fuck, we played 
right in perfectly mm-hmm. with what was going on with her and then what we pulled that night yeah it was it was like the perfect setup you that know was fire because she didn't give a fuck at that point she was just making crazy ass moves and we did the same thing that on that night and it was a funny night like that the actual show was 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 pretty fucking funny so yeah we knew that would be in syndication whether we knew we whether we were gonna be in the cut still we didn't know but it ended up staying in there so it's it's uh it's dope and i still love saturday night live i hold no no grudges or 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 any of that i know what they had to do because at the time it was taboo mm-hmm. yeah you know us getting away with that they they weren't going to allow it so for a while, like on NBC, we didn't get booked for nothing until I think Conan O'Brien and uh, Jay Leno decided, fuck it, we're going to bring them on. And uh, way later, way later, yeah, way later. <laughs> and then on the flip side, you did a Rugrats movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, cool. I was surprised when they asked me for that. And it was just the song. Like just doing the intro song or whatever it was, but like I was still surprised because I was so which, fucking which big. Which song at the time. was it? Uh, fuck, I can't remember. Um, I think it was the the the, the intro to to the movie mm-hmm. where they're uh, <laughs> where we're we're fucking saying all the crazy lines to it. I definitely watched Rugrats as a kid. Oh yeah, yeah. I would have sure. did the voiceovers had they asked me, but they just asked us for for the the voiceover for the intro to the song. So we're okay. like, all right, let's do it. Speaking of crazy shows and shit, what was it like in uh, doing the Woodstock? That was nuts. That that shit was crazy. Like what was that? What was that lineup like? Well, we were used to doing festivals in Europe at this point because we had done a few, um, and they were like you know sixty thousand people, fifty thousand people. So we thought we got this right. <laughs> We've done this now. This is nothing. And we get there, and you know. Some of us went by boat because there was only two ways you could get in. You had like wherever the drop off was, you had to get to the rest of the way. You either went on boat or the helicopter. I went in the helicopter and I seen the enormity of what the crowd was. And it was like literally half a million people there. They were like, oh shit, this is nothing like what we have just done. This is like what we've done times 10. (laughs) Um, And so, like when we, you know, I'm a little nervous at this point going up there, but confident because by now, you know, we've, we've done enough shows to like get up there and do what we do. How they were going to embrace us, we did not know because it's Woodstock. It would, you know, it's yeah. a mixed lineup and salt and pepper and us are the only hip hop on the shit, you know, at this point for this day. And so when we go on from first song to, you know, last, it was just the crowd was blowing up and like when the sea of people are jumping and that you know not in unison it looks like water you know waves happening wow it tripped me the fuck out like it but in a good way i was like because i you know it was a trip to see that they they were singing all the words and jumping up and down and going nuts and it, it like it took hold in that moment but like yeah it, it was a trip like when because it was a rotating stage so when we rotated and we got to see what the crowd looked like and everybody's jumping to our shit we're like whoa i was taken back for sure that's fucking wild and that was in what year was it? like 97 90, or 93 93 state new york that, yeah. 93 was a big year it was a big year we did a lot of crazy shit, shit that year <laughs> 
because i mean insane was a number one song and and uh we had we we had broke some records they don't really talk about it too much but like we had first we had i think the first of having two albums in the top 200 um on billboard one at number one which was black sunday and cypress hill that climbed from its 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 first point when we released it like it <laughs> it started for a week on the charts and it was in the two it was like in the 170 180 and it dropped off and then kill a man popped off and it popped all the way back up and slowly but surely it's making its way back up to the top 10 as we're about to release black sunday and when we release black sunday it comes in at number one and cypress hill um the self-titled is now up in the top 10 it might have even even have been at number five or something like that so we were like the first hip-hop group to do that and then there was a a record that ice cube had i think of his first week was two hundred seventy thousand units in the first week which which no hip hop group had done um up up to that point like the cube you know smashed everybody's first week uh, i can't remember which album that was but then when we hit with black sunday mm -hmm. we our first week was like 360,000 albums in a week and then uh, we held the number 1 spot for i think like in between 4 and 6 weeks at number one with that insane in the brain shit which you know we were the first to do that in hip-hop and uh yeah man it just that uh, 93 turned into a, a year that we did not anticipate we're just out there doing the work and all this crazy shit's happening and we're like oh shit okay it's what they say you know the fruits of your labor you go out there you put in the work and if you're putting in quality work and for sure you know sony backed everything that we did up they believed in what what we were doing so they just supported everywhere they they could have and should have to make it a bigger impact and and man we had a fucking huge impact yeah and we didn't even think that was the song that should have went out we thought it should have been we ain't going out like that we were like we ain't insane in the brain no we ain't going out like that's better like no trust us insane in the brain we're like, all right that's what you want to do. We thought totally they were going to lose and we we're going to fuck this all up. Nope. We were wrong. I said, I'll never pick a song ever again. I'm going to let y'all pick. <laughs> What's that album goes to number one. Does it, it, you guys are already bubbling. People already know about, but does it just everything change at that point? Yeah. I mean, whereas we could sneak into, to let's just say a shopping mall and the fuck off and get whatever you know and be anonymous now that that stopped happening we walked into malls and people were like oh shit it's cypress hill and not you know not for nothing we had homies that didn't realize when they wore a cypress hill shirt around us they were basically billboards like in arrows pointing oh yeah like, yeah, yeah. Are are i used to get kicked out of malls when 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 i would go and, and it wasn't because i was trying to you know mm -hmm. pull people up i was just trying to go get shit but like when one person would find out news travels fast and then like a, a gathering of a hundred to a thousand people and the mall security is like hey love your music but you gotta go because this right here cannot happen 
this is like an issue like oh okay so at that point you know like that that's when we start seeing the difference that we're not we're not um you know a private citizen any longer now mm -hmm. we're public the people know who we are and we can't just you know go anywhere and be carefree you know like we were before mm -hmm. we have to conduct ourselves in a certain way and we got to know that people are watching and all this all this other shit so it's it's a it's a complete different get down that you have to have once that happens were your parents around then yeah see that happen yeah, yeah what they, they think oh uh, my mother loved it she was proud and my father you know he was trying to understand it but he was also proud but he you know like he didn't see it coming mm -hmm. i don't my mother like would hear it it's from hard to me. believe yeah you know the older generations yeah my mother was a little bit open though um but you know like any other parents hey you need to get a job because you don't know if this <laughs> yeah. is going to happen or not you don't know like mm -hmm. all that sort of shit because uh, my father drove trucks he taught my other brothers to drive trucks i learned how to drive trucks but i didn't want to drive trucks so <laughs> i think he thought that's where i was going but i would not go there you know what i mean like some somewhere like i always loved music but somehow i found it in me to do it and it started with poetry and shit and when i met send dog's brother mellow man he sort of taught me how to flip the poetry into a, like a rap because you know that's that that's where it started for me as as like you know getting creative you know artistically in the rap shit because like before i was just writing poetry listen to oldies and, and metal and some reggae here and there you know and whatever my mother when she played in the house like all the latin music that would pop off you know but <laughs> that's that's sort of what mm -hmm. got me into the transition was was uh mellow showing me how you flip a, a, a poem into an actual rap over a beat on beat so that that's where it started for me and i realized man i ain't gonna do shit else but this but it didn't it didn't happen overnight like that you know i had to like go through it being the hobby because i loved hip-hop first you know and it wasn't until you know like they started working on mellow's first album like mellow got a deal mugs and julio g and those guys kind of helped get him his first deal and i was gang banging i was like straight up gang banging but they knew i could write so you know they were like trying to get me off the street and be like hey come to the studio and help mellow write this album and i wrote two songs on it but at first i was resistant i was like ah, what am i gonna do this shit ain't gonna you gotta get paid off this rap shit what are you crazy Wow. <laughs> it's out there game Dang, game. think forward on that now yeah, yeah. that was totally ate all the shit i talked right um but suddenly like i was like all right fuck it what do i got to lose mm -hmm. i go there and at first like i can't come up with any ideas but then some ideas sparked through uh, a couple of beats mugs plays plays me i eventually write the first one which was <clears throat> i think um tacapella or something like that and then the second was one was river cubanos which were both beats done by mugs for some reason mugs would always make something that sparked an idea for me where i didn't hear it in other places 
And uh, so I wrote those two songs. And as I'm in the studio with these guys, you know, and Muggs, uh, Mello is signed to Delicious Vinyl at this time with Young MC and Tone Loke and, <laughs> and, you know, some of the bigger artists on the West Coast at this time, I started kind of like loving being in the studio as opposed to being on the corner, you know, out there banging and, and you know, I started to love the creative process. So I found myself more in the studio than on the street at that point. And uh, I had to make a choice because I wasn't going to bring this shit over into this because these guys were taking a chance on me and pulling me off the street to come right and create an opportunity there. So I didn't want to fuck their opportunity up by me being selfish and stupid and hard-headed by thinking I can do this and be gangbanging. So I let the gangbang shit go. And my homies, fortunately, they understood that because I'd put enough time and enough soldiering in for no one to question, you know, loyalty and heart and all the things <laughs> in being in a gang, right? Um, so I made my clean break like that and, and, you know, fully jumped into the music. And it was because of that first uh, album Mello was making where he allowed me to come write him something. So salute to Mello for that. Yeah, that, huge that was, shout out. If it's not for, if not for him, really, I, I'm not here. Damn. Yeah. And him like, yeah, pushing to be like, get off the street, you know? What was it like being, you know, like being a, a younger, younger kid at that time and then being in the streets? Wild. Wild. Were because you like if, partying a lot or like, what yeah, was it we, like, like? Yeah, we did a lot of crazy shit. We partied a lot. With the with the Cypress crew before, you know, I was gangbanging. Yeah, as a young kid, I was party. We were partying a lot. I was always one of the youngest. And then when I went over into, you know, gangbanging, um, yeah, we partied, but we stood, you know, ready. <laughs> partied, but ready. Um, but not always careless, man. Well, you know, when we were partying, we would make sure we weren't like slipping out and open and being sloppy where, you know, someone could come take advantage of that. But yeah, they were crazy times, especially if you were gangbanging, because depending on where you lived, you never knew what car was hitting the corner on you to come serve your ass up. And then, you know, if they come get you, you got to go get them. And it goes back and forth, especially in the summertime, it would happen. The summers were fucking crazy. You what know, you and, if, and if one of us got caught slipping, like, going through a neighborhood and you know there was a blood going through a crip neighborhood and they would get beat the fuck down and vice versa if a crip came through a blood neighborhood and, and we caught you slipping boom we'd give it to you and that was it it wasn't always like death it was more of like a beat down like a, we're gonna teach you a lesson right here. we're gonna beat your ass up for coming down here this is a warning don't come down this block again the next time might be something different so it was like like that and shit you could be like any random place and, and if you had any color of rag hanging out your fucking back pocket some might have jumped out on you you know if they didn't serve your ass up they might have jumped out on you to you know jump you right in the place they caught you at it was it was crazy times but you know if you did it you knew that this what, what game this playing? could happen to you so you you tried not to slip you you know stood in your circle i was in a blood gang um it was uh 89th street family swans 
and uh yeah so that's that's <laughs> where i was uh soldiering who i was soldiering with for a long time and then till the music took me out of that but it it, it was crazy because you know i'm a latin dude you know i'm mixed i got a lot of different <laughs> different uh blood due to my mother being cuban she's caribbean so she got african blood and my father's mexican got spaniard and and native blood and my mother also with the spaniard blood and all that stuff so it's a crazy mix but anyone looking in would just say oh he's a mexican dude and i'm a mexican dude banging with black dudes so you know yeah it was it, most especially i had to be careful because mm -hmm. you know other motherfuckers would be like who's this motherfucker stood out yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but in my gang i was cool you know mm -hmm. they do i went through all the trials and tribulations that you you must go through but like you know when you're partying with other neighborhoods they're looking at you and you're slightly different and like, the fuck is this motherfucker why he why is he here with us and then your homies gotta you know take up for you and like hey he's with us mm -hmm. fuck off you know like that type of shit and it could either pop off right there or i bet cool you know it's <laughs> the volatile situation but you know i wouldn't change it for the world it, it taught me a lot of things that you know you got to keep your head on a swivel out here especially in la so especially in la it's the yeah. this is the mecca of that shit this is the mecca of that that's well, chicago people too. don't realize chicago's crazy too depending on where you're at you got to keep the head on a swivel if if you're in that life Mm -hmm. I'm no longer in that life, but what it taught me was never to have my, you know, guards down and to always be aware of my surroundings. So, you know, that I stay with that. That's, that's what it taught me. I'm not out there looking for problems with nobody and God willing, no one's looking for problems with me. And, you know, simple as that, but like, you know, I, I, I keep <laughs> the eye open and <laughs> am aware so you know that's that's what that taught me more than anything because i i remember one of my homies uh telling me one time when i was a young buck you know new to it i had my back toward the street and i didn't realize it and all the other homies you know they're facing to the street and he pulls me aside and he says check this here blood don't be turning your back to the street because if someone hits the corner you're going to be the first one and uh, never turned my back to the street after that. I even put it in a line in, in the song called Lick a Shot on the Black Sunday album, you know, because it's real shit. Yeah. There's certain is. things when you're going to be out there that you got to be up on game with. <laughs> so that's one little thing. So it's like the 10 crack commandments of the streets. It's like the... It's, at it's that time, risk, are, man. are you already smoking at that time? Oh, yeah. Already smoking. Oh, yeah. I was smoking big. What was the first bud you got that was like, whoa, and, this is different? Uh, and you know, we got asked, what was your first time smoking weed? Yeah. Um, first time smoking weed, I was probably in the fifth or sixth grade. Ooh. Um, I hung with like some, you know, metal kids because I was listening to metal and oldies, as I said before. But we used to have this older homie who is a, a gangbanger from. <laughs> This the set was East LA Tiny Dukes. At least that's what he claimed. We didn't know if he was really from there or not, but he was. It was his name was Eloy, and uh, he had a little green acrylic bong, and we'd come 
listen to metal and oldies with the homie and he would break out the bong and he'd hit it. And then the other homie started hitting it and I was like, fuck it, I'll hit it too. <laughs> and that was, that was my first time. My mother kept asking me why I kept coming home hungry from school. I was like, I don't know. I'm just hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that was, that was the first time. And the first bud that blew me the fuck away um, was, was shown to me by my homie Skate Master Tate, rest in peace, who was one of the bigger record collectors here in Southern California. He was tuned in with the skate world. He was good friends with Christian Soy and, and uh, he had, he had, he had done things for Nickelodeon with a lot of pro skaters, like with Tony Hawk and Gator and a lot of the old school names, big names and stuff like that. So he was big in that world. And he was also a DJ. More importantly for me, he was a weed connoisseur <laughs> <laughs> and he taught me how to be a connoisseur. And one day one of his homies had come from Hawaii and he would not smoke any stress or any mid-level weed always had to be whatever the top shelf was. He didn't give a fuck. He would spend on that. Other things he would be cheap with, <laughs> he would not be cheap with the weed, right? And so he gave me that game right there. And one day, um, one of his homies had come from Hawaii. He was a surfer because he knew the surfers, the skaters, all those guys because he was one of them. He used to ride a longboard, right, on the street. Um, and uh, this dude comes over. He goes, dude, I got some fucking amazing maui wowie bro and he was like bullshit let me say it <laughs> and dude breaks out the bag boom like actual fucking maui wowie you don't ever see that shit here ever right and it was my first and only time seeing it because again you it, at the time you had to go out there to get it to even see it you yeah. might not even be able to bring it back because it's expensive at this time but this dude was a pro surfer who brought it back so like he could afford it. And man, it was the prettiest shit I had seen at that time. I've mm -hmm. seen way better shit now in these days and times. But like at the time, that was it. I was like, wow, this shit is it right here. But and in hanging with Tate, and this was like all through our first album as we're making our first album, like even it is actually before when we're making our demos, because it took us like, in between three and five years to make that first album. And a lot of that album was made with his library of, of vinyls because he had some of the most rare shit. Oh, uh, it's super cool. Yeah. And so, you know, he allowed us to use a lot of his collection. Um, but he, he taught me a, a, about being a connoisseur. And after that, I didn't smoke any mid-level shit, no boof, no stress, no nothing. Um, because of what he gave me the gems he dropped on me and like you know hey wanting better cannabis demanding better <laughs> and that stood with me since that time so rest in peace to, rest in peace to skate master tape but yeah that was one of the first prettiest fucking colas of cannabis that I've ever seen was that maui wowie back in i'm gonna say it was probably 1990 early that's cool yeah. that you're in la and it's actually from hawaii yeah you know trippy hawaii has some fire yeah well I've, yeah because a lot of his his surfer friends you know they would go off to hawaii and do you know the competitions there and stuff like that and mm -hmm. some of them would bring back weed to him 
because he would take care of them while they were out here. So they would be like, hey, check out what we brought you, <laughs> like out of appreciation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they were just, you know, coming to smoke with them, you know, and yeah, man, fucking seeing it like the shit you only ever read about in high times. This is that shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> From that day on, you were on some connoisseur shit. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. He put me on to Not the a, path. You can't man. cheap out on the weed. You cannot cheap out you on can't. the weed. Not but, if you want to enjoy it. Hmm. No. Nah. Putting together a song like Dr. Green Thumb, you know, uh, and then like Tequila Sunrise, I, pu- I put on all the time. I mean, that's on like three different playlists on my phone. Awesome. Yeah. That, that song is epic. Uh, do you know when you're putting it together? That that's going to be a hit or are you guys you're just vibing you just no not really i mean you i mean i think as an artist you know it's dope but like you can't really i mean it's a gamble because some some vibes you know like are infectious and in that they'll catch and others need time to catch and um you never know which one you got Right. So for instance, our first album, we knew it was dope because we knew it was different, but we didn't know what kind of impact it would have. Right. Because we didn't really make it, um, market marketable, uh, like marketable, you know, it, it wasn't that at all. It was more <laughs> underground. <laughs> was more, yeah, yeah. Underground and edgy. So like for the first six months, you know, we weren't selling a lot of records or again, like, you know, the, we charted at 170 something and fell off. So it took a minute to catch, right? It wasn't like something that just happened overnight or instantly when people started hearing Kill a Man, they're like, oh, wait a minute, this shit is kind of dope right here. And then that opened the door for them to listen to other songs like Hand on the Pump and Hole in the Head and light another and the rest real estate and and whatever you know it it it's it eventually starts to sink in right and people are like yeah you know what this is kind of dope um whereas let's just say in comparison black sunday no one needed time on that they fucking loved it immediately there was not oh wait let me listen to this oh yeah this was like oh shit these guys caught on to something. So it's, it's, it's a different vibe per like album. Like for instance, Temples of Boom, you know, we were in a very dark place. People wanted us to go more radio and we were like, fuck that. We weren't going, <laughs> we're going darker. And so we went darker and we didn't know what it was going to do. We knew our fans, our core fans would love it because this is what core fans are. They, they, they take the ride with you. It's all the other ones are, are you going to win them over? Like the people that aren't necessarily core fans, the masses and like fans that like, they appreciate you Mm. and they may have fucked with your first couple records, but they're, you know, like they're, um, they can go one way or another. It all depends on what you put out. Right. And so, yeah, with, with temple of boom, for half of our fan base, fan base, it impacted them really quickly. Like, I love this. The, the people that like the dark shit and the people that like the more up, beat up tempo shit, it took them time to fuck with it because it was more of a vibe than a, aggressive. You know what I mean? So we have a, f- 
We, like our fan base is, is is a little different because we have the people who love that aggressive in your face shit. We have the people that love that slow tempo, slow tempo, like grimy, psychedelic, mind twist type shit. And then we have the people that like that up tempo, you know, full color shit, you know, like that, that bright shit, that uplift, right? So we're fortunate to have these three different combination of fan bases right but it's you just never know what what they're gonna fucking react to so it's basically you're putting out the vibe you're in at that point and however they receive it they receive it and if if you're on a record label that has resources maybe they could tap into it and figure out how to like make this fire bigger when you're doing it independent it's all you so it's whatever you put into it you know and uh so from one it's just one from one vibe to another really and you just never know it's like gambling you go to vegas and <laughs> you're throwing the dice you may have a hot hand here and there but you don't know if you're going to win every time you throw them dice or or any game you play no matter how good you are and it's the same thing with putting out music some shit's going to hit some's going to go past people's heads mm -hmm. some are going to just be a total l but you just don't know which ones those are. Like sometimes you get a feeling, you might get a feeling for a certain song. And if everybody has that same feeling, then you know. That's, that's, that's when you know, like when everybody's like, oh, what the fuck is this right here? When you get that from a bunch of different people, that's the indication. That's the one. That's the one. And it's usually not the one you think it'll be. Yeah, and that for us, that was insane. We did not even see that shit. You know, we're like, really? This, really? This one? Okay. All right. With Killer Man, that surprised us because we're like, Killer Man, for real? I mean, we knew it was dope, but like, yeah. because it was saying how I could just kill a man, that's really aggressive. Um, even though the song isn't just about like, it's not, it's not glorifying violence. It's, it's telling you scenarios on, on how people come to get in this situation, right? Um, so we were like, we know that that's going to be a harder sell on people, but that ended up going, you know? But we knew it was dope. We were like, okay, cool. With, with, with uh, Insane, we knew it was dope and it was a great album song, but it was a, it was a diss song. So we were like... Y'all want a diss song as a single? But we didn't, because we didn't see it for what they saw it for, and they didn't see it for what, <laughs> what it originally <laughs> was. But they were right. Shit. It ended up being our biggest song and launched us again. Uh, it was a bigger launch than what Killamad had, Killaman had for us, because it was more marketable. It wasn't as aggressive in the wording as a, here is something you can't understand how I could just kill a man. It's insane in the membrane, insane in the brain. You know, it's, mm -hmm. but the beats are similar in the way they move. They're aggressive, they're upbeat, they're around the same tempo. The insane might be slightly faster, but it gets people moving. And uh, that's, that was something that we didn't look at. We just, because we were so trying to be dark, we're, you know, let's do the darkest shit possible. Yeah, but you know that's why some artists should not pick their singles. <laughs> Let the experts do that. <laughs> well, it's it's like that's the goal, right? It's like you're a massive single is a diss song, 
Like that would be the goal is like, I'm going to create, cause that would be the goal now is like, I'm going to create a diss song and then things gonna be number one. Yeah. That's like, who whoa. knew we were like, Oh shit. And you know, for us, it was a diss to Chub Rock, right? Because Chub Rock, we felt, or I felt hit us on, um, what was the song? Cali blaze. It was, uh, was it uh, Yabba Dabba Do? I think on his second album, right? Yabba Dabba Do. He's spitting some, and I was a fan of Chub Rock because this motherfucker is dope, you know? And he still is. If you hear him, he's dope. And I don't have no animosity towards him now, you know? Like that, that was, it's water under the bridge. We were young and full of uh, pissed vinegar, as they say, right? Um, but there's a line in, in, um, and yabba dabba do and and you know everybody knew at that time if you were a fan of chub rocks or, or just knew any of it he was he was a straight edge rapper he didn't like talk about smoking weed blunts don't you know all that was against in his circle he didn't like the gun talk the gangster shit he always spoke like more positivity and and you know light as opposed to the darkness we were bringing. So in Yabba Dabba Do, he's flexing a dope style. And then in the middle of, I think the second verse or wherever he goes, he's buzzing, coming at ya. Sorry that I had to watch ya. Time for some lyrics. And that's a play off of our Killer Man song. Humming, coming at ya. Sorry that I had to gotcha. Right? So I thought he took a stab at us, right? So that's... He called himself the flamboyant one in a lot of his songs. So hence the beginning line of insane to the one on the flamboyant tip. I'll toss that ham in the frying pan. Oh, uh, so that's, shit. Okay. that's where that comes from. See, now it was all subliminal shit. So like, cause he didn't necessarily mention Cypress Hill. We felt it was a subliminal disc. So mm-hmm. I subbed him back. <laughs> Who knew it was going to be a huge song like that, though? I, we didn't. Underneath, I was just like kind of laughing at that shit. Like, damn, who knew? Things it charting. Just, this, this, little, <laughs> yeah. this little jab I put back on homie, you know. And what's crazy is that last year he hit me in, on my IG on, in the DMs. He was like, dude, I had no idea. Right? Because I think it after our... Um, insane in the brain documentary comes out i don't know did we address that it was, i think it was some 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 interview i did for somewhere and someone tagged him in it so that he was like hey yo did you ever see this blah, 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 blah. and so he hit me i was like man i had no idea <laughs> i'm like hey man it's a long time ago and we were kids you know practically there's water under the bridge. I got love for you, man. It is, you know, it is what it is. And I could explain to him why, because it's, ve- if you, if you, we listened to the song in the studio the other day, right? And because Pete, they all thought I was tripping. He didn't diss you. You're crazy. They, he couldn't have dissed you guys. <laughs> and I played it for him and it, the line came up and everybody was like, oh, <laughs> you know, like that. He did this. Yeah. No one took it like it was like, you know, uh, you know, like a big up mm-hmm. because there's times where you'll hear a phrase and they're trying to big up you, you know, like they're trying to say salute, like a tribute, yeah. but he was against the weed and he was against the guns and he was against the gangs and the violence and all this. And we weren't glorifying none of it. We were talking about where we came from and our experiences there. 
And maybe, you know, we just fell into the lump of these people talking shit for the sake of talking shit. And, you know, <laughs> and we were the it group at the time rising up. So it, it seemed like he took a jab at us, man. And if <laughs> I, I'll challenge all y'all that are watching and listening and including y'all, go listen to that song, Yabba Dabba Do It. Then you hit me up and tell me if you thought that that was a compliment or a diss. I'm going to tell you that I yeah. still today think it was a diss back then. Maybe, maybe we read it wrong, but it sounded mm. like a diss. This whole time the song blew up. He didn't even know it was a diss on us. Next thing you know, you get like a voice memo. He's coming back with some lyrics. He's like 30 years yeah. later. God, I got That's something for you. Crazy. I mean, he has to understand why. I mean, he wrote the lyrics that he wrote mm -hmm. with my cadence behind it. And he said, buzzing, coming at you. Sorry that I had to watch you. Like he didn't understand any of the, like it was a subliminal inside a subliminal. Here is something you can't understand. Sorry that I had to watch you. Like he can't understand what we're talking about. You know, he, it's not. And so <laughs> like, I was pissed because I was a fan of Chub Rock. And mm -hmm. we had done shows with him the year before on the first album and, you know, we had done stuff with them. So like, you know, I thought we were cool. And then I heard that shit. I was like, no, 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 no. Oh, we don't take that shit on Cypress Hill. <laughs> That's that competitive nature yeah. of B, bro. Yeah. yeah, we don't do. Yeah, we don't take uh -huh. that shit. If you're coming after me, you better know I'm coming after you right back. Yeah. And you better bring the lunch, dinner and extras. Of the smoke box, one of my favorite things you guys do. I mean, I've I've seen almost all of them. I love to see people get in there. Man, I gotta say, and you're, you're wrong. You're wrong for doing the smoke box, man. <laughs> oh man, Put I, people in that position. I swear man. To God, you're right. You, you break the man down quick. <laughs> oh man, I broke shit. it myself down a couple Holy times. Fuck. That's what I was gonna ask. Have there been a couple where you're like, whoo? There was a couple I came out like pretty goddamn high. Yes, um, but we lived that, so it's that's not an everyday. Yeah. It's not. It's not it's not foreign to us. Mm -hmm. you, we train for this. So if you come in our building and you're trying to smoke with us, smoke at your pace. Don't try to smoke like us. Cause you know, it, it might be slightly different. Like we, we chain smoke the weed in there and it's, it's not because we have to, it's cause we want to. And so like when someone comes into the box and they think it's going to be casual, <laughs> it's not really that Bro. it's like, we are here. First your eyes go. Then it, you can't fucking breathe. Yeah. I mean, Shit. you know, for me, like there's a technique to survive in the box. And I told Burner this. You don't because, move. Right. See, You're my like, man pays attention. Hey. I stay perfectly still. <laughs> perfectly still. I might. This is all I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I might do this occasionally when I'm when when they're talking and then I'm back to here. Yeah. It, very robotic. Right. But it's, it's about breathing, right? And trying not to cough. Like the first little cough you get or big cough you get, you ain't stopping for the rest. And then it's a wrap that we got to just shut it down because it's, it's not usable. We've had to shut down a couple and, and reshoot them because of that little fucking cough. And the thing is, is that if you go in there trying to take those big ass monster hits, and, and, and you're prone to coughing, it's already filled with smoke in there by this time. And like, you're getting that extra, you're trying to blow it out 
you're trying to blow it out and then like as you're coughing you're taking some of it back in and coughing it out it's just a, a circle of fuckery <laughs> and you're done at that point so i try to tell people take controlled hits you know what i mean and let it ride out don't hold it in just let it ride out because when you try to hold it in in there man it's you're it's over you're already, i don't care who you yeah, you're already you breathing are. it one of the greatest episodes is the the actor i can't remember is it he's the cop in scream the first scream movie oh, uh, david arquette david arquette's episode with yeah. you is one of my hands down favorite because yeah. he was great oh bro he's hilarious and you guys that thing is you can't even see in there and he's just he starts that that cough yeah and the eyes start going and then it's, yeah. it just reminds me of this dude that's why i love hey, he, he put on the seat belt we weren't going <laughs> Put on the fucking seatbelt. Dave is a cool dude, man. Yeah. And it was great to have him. But yeah, he was mad nervous going in. He was like, I don't know if I should do this. And we're like, hey, it's going to be fine. Just, you know, smoke at your pace. Because that's the first thing I tell him. Look, you ain't got to outsmoke me. It's not a race to the finish. Just we're going to have a conversation and then it'll be done. And some motherfuckers are like, hey, man, is there a tap button that you guys have here for this? Is there like, an out button or do you guys just torture people that's <laughs> like this whole time like damn okay i guess it is torture for someone that doesn't you know smoke like like we smoke down there like to be in there with four guys smoking individual joints it's not like we're sharing we don't do that it's it's you know everybody has their individual piece and we go for it and yeah it, it gets overwhelming for some not for everybody like wiz he he handled it he, he got a little hot and he peeled off his shirt because we were doing it in the dead of the summer and we didn't have AC in the building and the <laughs> windows are rolled up Ooh. and burner was in the back losing his shit because it's like, you know, they got him sitting in the middle and there's five of us in the car. Everybody's got oh. their own joint. Wiz got three joints. Oh. So it gets really fucking smoky in there. And, you know, burner was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> And, you know, he's like, he asked me, like, how do you do it? Like, how the fuck do you do that? Because uh, you rarely break a sweat. You don't cough, blah, blah, blah. Like, what's the trick? And it's like you said, I said, I stay very still. I maintain breathing. I don't take like huge ass crazy hits that I can't handle because the cough, man, once that cough happens, it's done because your body's going to heat up. It's already hot in there from the lack of oxygen from all the smoke so you gotta just stay calm and relaxed and try not to cough and and you know be as still as possible instead of like fidgeting around and like you know when they start doing that <laughs> done what, what's the, what what's the what's the what's the one that the worst one that you said you maybe had to call off or oh well, there, there was two there was there was two where you were like man it was three be all really, right? three really hard ones that like on the cough end but two of them i had to scrap and one of them we just let go because it was what it was we didn't know any better we're just, okay fuck it we're just gonna let it be it, it, we're smoking fuck it that's a part of smoking right so one was steph tone from uh the deaf tone steph carpenter of the deaf tones he was he was in the box some years back and you know he back then he was smoking cigarettes too so like he, he was like his cough was crazy <laughs> but we kept that one that one we kept going we were like fuck it it is what it is but yeah he he coughed a lot but he could smoke 
you know, in spite of the cough and all that, and the exaggeration in the cough, the dude could smoke. He's like a fucking, you know, he's a titan when it comes to smoking weed and concentrates and all that shit. Um, uh, the other two <laughs> were said, dog. Yeah, we wow. he was doing uh, Power Flow. He we, we were we were doing with his band Power Flow. <laughs> And he and he took a beer in the box. Usually I give people waters. He takes a beer. Cause I rarely saw San Ever in these 30 years drink a water. It's all it was always a beer. Now he drinks water instead of the beer. But up to that point, so he goes in the box and he takes one of his big old Jeff Spicoli hits, you know, big, big huge hit. And he started with the cough. And once the cough came, he could never get off it. Like, so when I was asking questions, he was doing, <laughs> you know, was, that was the whole, like throughout. And I was like, wait a minute, we got to stop this right here. <laughs> we got to scrap yeah. this one. It's funny because he's probably watching people and he already sees it starting before it even yeah, happens. Like, yeah, he's like, make it. look at them moving around all over, you know, yeah. <laughs> taking big hit. You're like, oh, here it, we go. It's my homie send dog. So like, I can't allow him to look like that mm -hmm. so you know because he's a big smoker too it's just like he did it too big and he takes that big ass hit and he thinks he could like wash it down with some beer and it made it worse because <laughs> it's the scratch that happens uh -huh. right from when you cough and inhaling the existing smoke yep. the scratch happens on the back of your throat to compound the cough and you're done unless you got like warm tea warm water that shit just ain't gonna go away so we back. didn't have any of that available so we're like yo said it's a wrap we're like five minutes into the interview it, it just started getting smoky so we called that one a wrap and we had to scrap that one and you know i don't recall if we ever redid it but we <laughs> we just done did one for for the cypress uh black sunday anniversary that's coming out in july and he caught a little cough in there but we fucking let it roll on that one and oh, then, you guys got in the car together yeah mugs oh dog, uh, man mugs send dog bobo and myself and we just had our conversation amongst us and it was it was a good one uh but the other one uh who was the other one it was one it was exhibit exhibit came in and we were doing one for serial killers, myself, Demerick, and uh, Exhibit. And, you know, Exhibit smokes big, too. And he took one of the big-ass hits, and the little cough happened, and that was it. I was like, yo, we can't put this out. <laughs> and he even was the, like, he was like, hey, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and we real. came back and did it, and he did it perfectly. Like, the next time he did it, it was all controlled. But see, he likes to smoke. Well, back in that time, he liked to smoke the fucking... Uh, the backwoods i'm like why are you smoking tree bark dog like come on man get get into these papers he's like no nah, man i like the tree bark. i mean i like the packwoods or <laughs> the backwoods, backwoods whatever I'm yeah like, yeah oh man nah, nah nah that ain't it and that's why you're coughing that really it was because of you know him taking a big ass uh, hit and the and the big cough turned to the little cough but you know i was gonna blame it on his backwoods all day because you know trying to get the homie to smoke something more healthy for him you know what i mean mm -hmm. and backwoods are no good sorry backwoods no, yeah but um, papers all day papers all day um but yeah th those those couple we had to scrap and there was one other one that we had to scrap because it was early on in um 
in us doing the smoke box. It was with my man Buckshot. Um, he didn't smoke that much. Like if I had known, like people weren't gonna give a fuck about him smoking, and he was, it was just cool for him to be in the box. Period. Then I would have like let it run. But at that time, we had the type of uh, viewership that if you weren't smoking in the box, they didn't give a fuck who you were. They're like, man. Fuck that. That motherfucker <laughs> didn't smoke. How you going to be in the smoke is, box and not even smoke? What the fuck is he mm-hmm. doing in the box? I mean, shit, man. Like, we did Tommy Chong at a special event, right? I did, we did him in the mystery van or whatever. Mystery machine. Yeah. Um, there was, it was, a, it was a, an event at one of these dispensaries downtown. I think it was uh, KVC or some shit like this. And they had the mystery van out there. They asked me to come do the smoke box there in this van. And Tommy Chong was going to be there. And me and Tommy, we go back. Um, that's one of my weed mentors. <laughs> love, love Tommy, you know. Um, so, yeah, of course, I was going to go get that interview with Tommy. And uh, <laughs> we did the shit. And, like, he wasn't trying to smoke a lot. He was just, you know, taking little puffs here and there but having the conversation where i was like smoking like a beast and uh people in the comments were like he's not even smoking look he's just sitting there like shit like this and i'm like i had to intervene into the comment section and say hey wait a minute this is fucking tommy chong you're talking about he's 70 something years old he's partially the reason we get to do this so fucking have some respect yeah I mean, this guy gets to smoke how he wants yeah he gets yeah, to smoke yeah. how he wants you <laughs> yeah. fucking leave him be right he don't gotta smoke like me to be in there like y'all ask too much <laughs> yeah people get <laughs> and, on you it. know like that so i was dealing with that so i didn't want my friend to have to go through that that same shit so i pulled the episode and hopefully i'll get him again and now they're you know our, our base fan base is a little bit more evolved where they accept someone coming in there and not smoking mm-hmm. if they know off the top they're not going to smoke if they're coming in there with the joint and they take maybe two hits yeah they'll they'll kind of go in on them but like big boy for instance um he came into to the box and everybody knows him from the radio i mean big boy in the morning and they know he don't smoke so they were surprised by him getting into the box in the first place but you know he got into the box and people accepted it because he was willing to sit there and catch a contact tie and deal with it so you know back in the day they wouldn't have stood for that but Mm -hmm. these days they will so hopefully or maybe i should just air the buckshot one now (laughs) even though it's like like, damn even though it's six years later no probably 10 years later oh wow yeah i I was trying to save him from the 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 shitty comments that he would have got so the weed community will turn on you quick. They don't play with that. If you're in a weed culture situation and you ain't like really living up to what they expect out of it, yeah, no, nah, they're going to give it to you. And then when they see people come into the weed culture that were never advocates for it, um, never activists for it, yeah, they look at them like, you're just here to make money. Mm-hmm. And they don't accept it. And they scrutinize it to a different level. And, you know, they got to prove themselves to, to the cannabis culture at that point. Because, you know, there's a lot of people coming in and trying to make money off the culture, for sure. 
What was it like being on Joe Rogan? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Joe and I go go uh, a ways back. It's always been a love and mutual respect for one another. Um, we started in the podcast space probably around this, close to the same time. Maybe, uh, shit, I don't know. We might have been before him. I'm not sure about that. We st I think we started in 09 um, with the 420 show on Stickam before we flipped it to the Dr. Green Thumb show. Because there was a lot of 420 shows out there and we, you know, we wanted to be unique. So we've, we figured let's just flip it to the name. Mm -hmm. And that's where it started. But yeah, like in 2009, it was like the, yeah, the, the 420 show on Stickam. And then eventually on BeReal.TV, our home site that we created in case something happened to Stickam that we could keep it going. And they helped us create the, the platform. That was the cool thing. So he's been OG in it since OG. I mean, even with cannabis, right? I talked to yeah. people like Kenji and he's like, be real, had the OG Kush plant or like, you got wonder bread. Who's like, yeah, you know, Kenji be real. And it's like, yeah, well, the they, lead singer of the band Cypress. They're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're well, like, we were all hanging out together. Like Kenji and myself, you know, Kenji was, was, you know, one of our guys on tour with us, you know what I mean? And then he got into, to growing cannabis, like when he was home. And like the first things we, we, we put out were from my garage before we knew any better. And hence Dr. Green Thumb, like part of one of the lines is, says uh, 20 plants stinking up the whole neighborhood. That was my garage. Like when I lived in, I think it was Studio City, I'd like be within maybe thousand feet from my house and i could fucking smell my house from there because we we didn't know any better we didn't know how to mask the fucking smell of it i mean it, it we were green and it was still new i mean this was in bunch of skunks loose right yeah, yeah. I think it was yeah. 96 97 around oh, that time man. <laughs> studio city and these guys got i mean skunk growing in that garage yeah like we were wow. blowing it up and <laughs> for what we thought blowing it up was at the time that and was so, then. And so the Dr. Green Thumb song comes out of us doing that, you know, and that, that sort of created the whole damn culture of it for us. That, that, and, and, you know, that song eventually leads me to now throwing Green Thumb events at the House of Blues when it was there on Sunset. Then eventually it takes me into throwing the Dr. Green Thumb spring gathering with my man Chang Weisberg, who eventually did Rock the Bells, and I did the smoke out with him. And, you know, it sort of leads to the culture of what we built with Dr. Green Thumb moving forward from it being a podcast to the show to the, the, the stores and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And who, I, none of us would have called the future on that song like that. They wanted to make me change that song. Sony wanted me to change that to something that was more marketable, like Insane in the Brain, because they knew the song was dope in terms of like the beat and maybe the rhyme on it, but like the chorus, they wanted me to change to something different. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not gonna change it. We already have Insane, this is Dr. Green Thumb. Mm -hmm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride on this. I'm not going to change it. And thank God I didn't change it because, I mean, it led to everything, you know, that we're doing now. Aside from what we do with Cypress, it gave me another branch. Yeah. From our, from our original tree. 
Oh, so what, unique. What's what's been your you know because we 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 go way back even on the funky field tips. Yeah. But what's been your like favorite part of the cannabis venture like project wise? Uh, project wise, uh, yeah, the funky field tips is is uh that was early was a cool thing because we put something new in the game, even though some haters tried to act like there was <laughs> glass tips previously, but there was not <laughs> um, because we would have saw them. Someone would have had them. Yeah, they're smoking stones and things like that, but glass pieces for joints and blunts that it didn't exist. And, you know, we definitely brought that in the game. And the fact was I was doing the, um, a collaboration with Roar for Cypress Hill and creating a couple of glass pieces, a, a really expensive, nice one that was collector to the more affordable piece that anyone could get. And in doing this, these pieces with them um, came two things, the Excalibur two piece, which they built for us, which was a six foot four piece that could extend to um, many, <laughs> many more feet to like eight, nine, ten, if you wanted to, if you had all the pieces to, to, to get it up there, which they did because they built it. The second thing was I had the idea for the funky field tips. I got it while I was in Amsterdam. We were rolling joints and, you know, as much as I like the, the tip theory, I, I didn't like the paper tips because you could only smoke the joint up to here before you start tasting mm. the paper from the heat. So I, I thought to myself, why has no one created glass tips? And then I thought, I'm going to make a prototype when I get home and I'm going to show it to Roar and see if they'll, they'll put it out with me. And sure enough, they did. At first, they didn't think it was going to roll. <laughs> but yeah. like the owner said, he took like maybe 10 of them or something like that. And he gave them to 10 of his friends. Nine of them were like, I love these. Only one of them was like, oh, I like the papers better. Mm -hmm. So based on that, he was like, let's do your idea. And that's, that's how they got out there through Roar first. Then eventually we take them over and start doing it ourselves. So, yeah. you know, I mean, they, they started popping. We were getting them in the smoke shops and shit. I was oh. definitely the first glass tips we had access to. Yeah. yeah. And now there's in the tin. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It would, it would open up in case. Now there's a bunch of knockoffs and a lot of people use a, a bunch of different glass tips, which is cool, but. You know, I could say that I brought that to the game. I sell my own tips, but there's other tips out there. And you're welcome, motherfuckers. You're you, welcome. You still put out collabs with Soul Assassins, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a I Soul have the Assassin. Nag Champa collab. Yeah, I'm you a guys Soul. did Nag Champa times Soul Assassins. I was like, this is the sickest yeah, thing Muggs ever. Is, Muggs is, uh, you know, he's he's a brilliant dude, man. Like he he makes some really good collabs happen mm -hmm. uh, for for the Soul Assassin brand. So. Um, salute to, to DJ Muggs, my big bro. Um, you know, we're going to be working on some crazy shit for Cypress Hill pretty soon. Something different, new experience, not just music, but like something different. What do you have coming up? Like, what are you working on right now? I know you said you just were on tour in Germany. I a, yeah, I have a couple different uh, um, albums coming out. One with uh, Psycho Less of the Beat Nuts, him and I you know, collabed up for an album. It's fucking pretty crazy. It's called Real Psycho. Be real, psycho less, real psycho. Um, and he did his thing on the beats. It, it's just crazy. We're we're about to start putting out song by song uh pretty soon. Uh we're gonna put a video out with it and all that stuff. So we're we're just gearing up for that release. And then following that, I got another project with my man Burner. 
um, where it's an album that Scott Storch produced for us completely. And uh, so we're, we're uh, waiting to put the finishing touches on that and going to release that sometime next year. And uh, yeah, so is, uh, for that, those are the two big projects I got coming. But in terms of Cypress, um, I don't know about when we might make another album right now. I think we're concentrated more on making songs mm -hmm. and then bringing an experience to these songs rather than just like doing the standard, like let's make another album and let's make another album. We want to give people something different because we've been doing this over 30 years now. And like, you know, shit has to evolve. So we're trying to evolve in the way that we present our art to people. So we're going to come with some different ideas and, and uh, see what it do. Do you still enjoy getting weed? You have to have gotten oh, probably yeah. a thousand, maybe more pounds at this point. Definitely People, still get excited yeah. because I mean, someone's always got some new fire shit that you might not have seen. And then some people got like some shit you've definitely seen, but it's better than, you know, mm -hmm. what, 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 what you've seen in that particular strain and, and things like that. Like for instance, you know, for me, I was always a hater of the blue dream. Right, everybody's the blue dream. This blue dream, I'm like fuck blue dream, man. Because <laughs> every blue dream I ever had was like okay. Mm -hmm. It was never that shit that everybody was always They're bragging that about. Shit outdoor, yeah. And till finally, someone came to my studio with some actual blue dream that was grown properly, and it changed my mind about it. I was like, you know what, this shit is actually good. I'm not gonna go on the hunt for it. Mm -hmm. But I will say, you know what? It's actually good. When they do it proper, it's fucking a really good strain. And I could see why people made a big deal out of it. But for a long time, I was man, the fuck blue dream, man. Every fucking dream I had was a sour dream shit. <laughs> yeah. It didn't taste good at all. Like, because for me, it's about flavor. You know, like a lot of this shit gets you high. But for me, I'm, I'm looking for that flavor. And when it doesn't have the flavor, man, I just ain't about it at all. And, and, and like with anything, like, like with OG for a long time, when OG became the thing out here in Southern California, everybody claimed to have it, but not everybody had it. They just needed to sell their shitty little weed. So they tap OG on it and then you tasted it and you're like, this isn't OG, this is no G. <laughs> no, I'm saying, hey, no fuck out of here. Shit. They're like, it's super earthy. You're like, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's super earthy. Yeah, <laughs> it's just super yeah. boofy. Hold the shit gas. Out of here. Yeah, yeah. No. So you know that, like, <laughs> yeah that that was that was the get down. You had to like go through some folks that didn't necessarily have that good shit, but they, you know, they would use the name because they knew it, people would be like, oh, that's that, and then be disappointed because, oh man, I thought that would be better. And then you had guys that didn't really have experience. Oh, I tried that OG Kush. That shit wasn't nothing. Yeah. It's in that happens with weed. When you got a good marketable name, other people will use it because they need something to sell their shit. And <laughs> they'll use that nice name to get it off. Now it's hard, harder to do that. But back in that time, shit, you could snipe a name, use it, and, you know, sell sell your fucking whatever booth you got right there and you ain't never going to get that customer those mm -hmm. customers again but you got it off because you you lied to people and told people it was this when it wasn't and what ain't is i've smoked that hindu and some of the flavors oh, yeah. you brought 
I mean, that is so unique. I've been through thousands of strains like that. That is such a unique strain. Like if I land in LA, I'm headed to Dr. Green Thumbs to pick up these flavors. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. You know, the Hindu funk, a lot of people came at us, you know, I mean, look, as, as the guys putting it out, we always think it's like records. It's mm-hmm. like, like I said, with records, we'll put something out. We think this is the one they're going to fucking react to. And it happens to be this other shit over here. You know what I mean? Like, so for instance, we thought like people would react to the Mamba juice and they do, but what they react to even more is the Hindu funk. And we didn't, so call unique. The, we didn't call that, but to us in our flavor palette is the Mamba juice. You know what I mean? And everybody just have, has a different, it's subjectable, you know, Ooh. my favorite might not be your favorite. And so like when we're putting out strains, you know, you have to keep that in mind. Like if you're putting out 10 strains and you're like choosing to put out these 10 strains and you think they're all going to hit, but this one over here is going to be the one. And that one goes the least. It doesn't mean that you don't know what you're fucking talking about. It just means that your palate is different than theirs. And maybe you've been doing this so long that you're on a connoisseur level that's past that. And you got to like, Put your ego aside and say, all right, these are the ones we got to push because this one ain't going. Even though I think this should be it, it's just not the time for it yet. They're, they want this shit over here. That's and, a great way to put it. It's not the time for it. Yeah, you yeah. know, because cannabis could go away and come back. Mm-hmm. And people that have had it before, they'll act surprised like, oh, I never had this shit before. Wow. Because <laughs> they forget. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. been your go-to lately? There's this new strain that Kenji's been fucking with that we're we're planning on putting out. Right for right now, it's called uh, uh, Ripped Off Runs, R O R nine and R O R ten, and those two that he's and and this and this other strain called Lithium. Mm. Um, crazy, like the bag appeal, and when you crack the bag or the jar, <clears throat> the 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 nose on it is overwhelming. Like, it's like, oh, I got to smoke this shit immediately. So, you know, yeah, they've been doing their thing down there. You know, Kenji and and, uh, the squad been doing an excellent job on on some of the strains that uh, we're about to put out now, you know, pretty soon. And the French toast gets a lot of run. The stuff French toast people. That's a unique one. Yeah. All of them. Their whole lineup's unique. Like you go through each flavor and they're so different from the next one. Like that, that's what's so dope about you guys' lineup. Plus it's a bunch of OGs putting their heads together, being able to be like, yeah, this is the one. No. What do you think of this one? Like whenever you get that circle. Oh yeah. We do the taste test for sure. Like there, there's no way we don't like, we have to fucking make, okay, what represents us the best here? Right. Mm -hmm. There was a strain that we were doing, um, and I don't know when it's coming back, but it's the Mac 11. And uh, that, that was my favorite. That had like the, the, a similar appeal as that, what, what he's growing with the, with the ROR right now. But um, yeah, that was one of my favorites when we were, you know, when we were putting that out. That, it's a, it's, it's a Kenji's version of the Mac one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is fire, man. Like he produces, he produces that strain like, like nobody so yeah, he's a know. talented guy man yeah. another dedicated guy spent his whole life focused on cannabis oh yeah. yeah he's put everything into it man and he knows so much about it um 
because he does the diligence and the passion that he has for it. I mean, you know, and he's one of those guys, he, he puts the work in, man. You know, he's, he's like a perfectionist, a scientist, if you will, with the shit, man. You know, he's in a constant effort to dial it in even more each time. And that's what everybody chases. Mm -hmm. You're constantly trying to dial it the fuck in. And it's hard because sometimes as much as you do, um, shit happens in any cultivation where something, one little thing goes wrong and it's a domino effect and it, it affects either the quality or, or whatever, you know, and those guys take it to heart when that fucking happens because they pride themselves on being on the one every time, but running a big cultivation, man, that's fucking tough. Even if you got a, a, a professional team, you know, like you got some of the best motherfuckers that you could get to be running this facility, problems are going to happen. The building is the building, shit happens. And, and uh, you know, so salute to the guys that do this shit and that can get past those things and to keep producing, you know, the top shelf premium cannabis that, that is out there. And he's definitely one of them because mm -hmm. he's, he's been through his ups and downs, gone through the hurdles and jumped through the hoops and, you know, put out the fires and everything, <laughs> man, anything you could think of my man's been through. So like he's fucking certified. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is man. Stand up dude. Yeah. yeah. And big shout out to Kenji and big shout out to Callie blaze That's for right. helping us get beyond this episode. Certified motherfucker yeah. Right yeah. Yeah. And LA is a tough place to do what we love doing. Yeah. So it's uh to make it out here, it's tough. There's a lot yeah. of other factors. A lot of factors. Yeah. And most importantly, the taxes. You Crazy. know, our governor and our state, instead of uh helping us out, they they punish us for the money we make the state. That nice little sparkly bridge, <laughs> cannabis. Yeah. Everything that they're spending money on right now in California cannabis there ain't no other industry that that um produced the revenue stream to be able to have this sort of surplus that we now have i mean california was in debt for a very long fucking time until they activated legalization well before legalization they started building up this surplus because you know when uh 215 got put in place that was the start of it because they mm -hmm. were collecting money wasn't like they were like, oh, no, we're not going to collect your money. No, fuck you. You collected the money. And then when it became legal, you definitely collected mm -hmm. the money times fucking two. Yeah, all cash in envelopes. Yes. Yeah, so, like, a lot of the stuff that's happening within the state in terms of spending, that's cannabis money. And they may not want to give it the due that it deserves, but it's fucking real. And he's using that money be it on good shit or bullshit, he's using it. And like, you know, that's because we pay so much tax on it from, from um, operator to consumer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, God willing, that's going to come down, you know, but it's going to take the people to do that. Don't let the lobbyists that are for some of these corporations that are going to come in and try to take, take it over. Like, you know, the pharmaceutical companies and stuff like that, where they're going to get their lobbyists to come in and get those taxes down but guess what you're still going to get taxed mm -hmm. they're not you may not get taxed in the way you're getting taxed now but they're going to fuck you in some sort of way where it's going to be like almost impossible for you to operate and to have to sell your licenses or sell your brand 
to these motherfuckers or put your cannabis line under whatever they're they're going to do because they're just going to overwhelm you mm -hmm. and uh that's that's if people in in the cannabis industry now don't act now and and uh figure that part out and and make the the lobby group for the industry do this now as opposed to waiting on these fuckers to do it because again a lot of us are going to get shut out when that happens yeah it needs the to taxes be will go down consumers yeah. will be great but existing operators are going to get flushed out it's a it's like almost like a cleaning of the carpet they're like all right we'll Absolutely. lay it out and then pave because the way. they know where the real money is going to come in and actually make it an industry right now what we're doing is is significant but it's peanuts in comparison to what it could be right and they're looking at that and they're looking at controlling the industry and you know hey better get your shit right and 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 people need to like activate and start lobbying or or get like get a lobby group together put the funds together like everybody's always so separated if you get together and put this lobby group together to bring these taxes down everything starts to make more sense for you your your bottom line is going to be different and it ain't going to be so hard on you right now. It's hard on you because these fucking taxes mm -hmm. and it's expensive to operate in California, period, let alone these taxes. So it's it's like we need some sort of reprieve. And, and the only way we're going to do that, you can't depend on this governor because he he's loving the money, but he ain't going to do shit to bring those taxes down. He doesn't have to. There's no reason for him to do it other than we're complaining about it. So it's up to the people if they want to make that change, because realistically, they ain't going to do it for us. Yeah, I feel like it's the same with cleaning up L.A. We talk a lot, but it's like, man, not, you know, we, we want some help like to clean up parts of L.A. that yeah. are just in crazy. It's getting know. out of hand. Yeah, I mean, they should, should be using some of that cannabis money to do that. Yeah. But that's where their, their surplus comes from. The reason that California can spend money is because of cannabis. There wasn't no... no uh, industry out of nowhere that you know that 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 injected like millions if not billions of dollars into the california budget mm -hmm. like we were in debt yeah for a long time yeah it's got to be billions by now. yeah it's so sure. like you know where's that that mm -hmm. money ain't coming from the 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 entertainment industry a lot of the entertainment industry left to to like shoot outside of the state because it's cheaper yeah, even Mark Wahlberg he moved to Nevada. All these people are building stuff. Yeah, I yeah, saw him. Man, dude. They're building studios here. They're yeah, no, he's he's a hundred percent on. It's what, interesting. What do you feel about the state of the cannabis market right now? Needs work. Mm -hmm. They they need to work it out. And and uh, you know, in California, we need to bring the taxes down. But like you know, I think people need to fight for legalization across the board federally, so that a lot of us could now use the banking system, which we're not allowed to use. And so that we can actually make this a, a an, an industry and, and not have all these different rules and different states that make it complicated for a brand to exist in all these different places. Like, for instance, here we could have our logo on a bag in Florida. You can't. You know, Michigan's different. You could have your logo on the bag and in another state you might not be able. So now you got to make all this different packaging and have your brand sort of have these different looks because these different all these states have different legislation on it 
if you had it federally legal, it'd be like, for instance, you're putting out Coke, right? Coke is the same Coke in every state, the same fucking can, right? Pepsi, same thing. So cannabis should be the same fucking way, but it ain't going to happen until it's federally legal. And, you know, some folks don't want it because they still want to do their, you know, <laughs> the trap action. But the folks that do want to do it, and especially, most especially the people that have invested in making a brand, yeah, they want it because they don't want to have to take their logo off the bag or whatever and, and just it be a generic bag. I mean, in some cases that's cool, but in, in other cases, like, you know, in, in California, people want to see, you know, a popping bag like that usually means it's premium in there. Now, some people be cheating and put it's a booth in a nice bag, but, <laughs> you know, hopefully we get some regulation out of town or some, well, I, he said some, too many, <laughs> yeah, too, yeah, too yeah. many. I, I love being able to sit here with B and chop it up and like, yeah. listen to this history and like, a tastemaker, a wave maker, Supreme in this whole cannabis industry, you know, all of us uh, have a debt to pay to guys like you, man, who made it something that we could talk about more openly acceptable. and acceptable, you know, and then carrying the flame, actually carrying the flame. Like it's a whole other level. Well, you know? thank you, man. You know, I definitely, we didn't do it by ourselves. There was guys that came along before us in the jazz world, like Cab Calloway, Louis Armstrong and all those guys. And in the, the reggae genre, like several artists, I mean, you know, everybody always points to Bob Marley, but that's been a thing in their culture for such a long time. But mm -hmm. yes, Bob Marley <laughs> championed it like no other. And, you know, we came along in hip hop and, and took what they were doing and like, you know, fortunately broke into the mainstream with it. So, you know, it was built off of their backs before ours and we just were able to like key in and have impact and put the work in we believed in it and we knew that we were sacrificing some things you know because we didn't get looks other groups got even though we were more successful um but that you know that came with the territory and we had to live with that and you know for <laughs> we've been good so you know i'm grateful that that uh people accepted us you know with the aggressive messaging that we had and for the advocacy of of cannabis you know like it's it was two things that you know were uh were stacked against us but you know they worked in our favor people so, were still getting arrested you were bringing a nine foot six foot bong on stage yeah and letting people smoke out of it. yeah like and they, and they had to have known by then right like after so many tour stops oh they yeah kind of know they're like they <laughs> knew what was coming oh yeah they're like these guys we we gotta watch and it's them. just crazy you keep the you kept the flame lit for over 30 years and we're gonna still keep That's it insane. lit. <laughs> still work to, to do. the end yeah, yeah. got oh, to it right. this putting out brand new strings. can't stop now that's right we can't stop can't now. stop yeah. now <laughs> man if you sure. haven't seen the smoke box if anybody's yeah. i know you have but if you haven't seen it one of my favorite shows and you can just go one by i just watched the race remembered one that was oh, a yeah, funny yeah. ass episode too. It's always yeah. good to watch. They were, those, they were good. I, you know, like mm -hmm. we had we had Jimmy in there before, mm -hmm. but we hadn't had um, both of them. So you know, it was good to have both of them. And it was funny as hell. So <laughs> yeah. he actually was like trying to crawl out. He actually, yeah, did, yeah. he actually did better the first time. <laughs> Jimmy did better the first time than he did the second time. But it'll it, catch up to you. Yeah, man. it was hilarious though. It was, it was a good box. Yeah.
shit check it if you haven't already obviously check out be real man any store in you know the whole state of california dr green thumb the insane brand nothing but fire everything you guys got going on man it's it's inspiring and we appreciate it hey thank you for having me and i appreciate you know the words and man um we got to get you guys on the dr green thumb show i'm excited it's been a dream come true episode 100 with be real people listen to that you already know, man. Word Be up. real. Episode 100 is first smoke of the day. We're out. Word Peace. up.